0: Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here this morning. Hopefully, this has already been a blessing to you as it has to me. I was impressed with that men's choir. What do you guys think about that? Like, very uh, exceeding expectations for for sure. Will threatened me after the first service. He said the guy that works our sound uh, was saying that he was going to leave my mic on this time, so I intentionally made sure it was turned off. Uh, But anyway... Excited to be with you sharing in this series we've been in for the last uh, four weeks, and we're diving in this morning, just picking up where we left off. If you haven't been here, we're going through these different letters that are written to the churches. They're actually found in Revelation 2 and 3. It was seven specific churches that Jesus was writing a word to, but each one of those messages, each one of those letters has transferable principles for us today today. And so we're excited to be looking at chapter 3. You can start turning in your Bible here uh, this morning uh, and follow along with us. But before we dive in, just wanted to point out a word you're probably familiar with. The word is this, oxymoron. How many of you know what an oxymoron is? It's basically the idea is it's two words that shouldn't go together, but they often do. Two words that you can probably bring to mind some. I was looking on this particular website this week, and it was pointing out a a number. There's a lot of them in our English language. I'll share a couple with you and see if you could probably add to the list. Jumbo shrimp. (laughs) Absolutely unsure. Huh. Act naturally. You heard that before? Adult children. Doesn't make sense authentic replica i always see that online i'm like this is a authentic. you're like wait a second how about this one advanced beginner how about this good casserole Ag- agree to disagree freezer burn alone together we're going to be alone together in this what among the first think about that for a second. Among the first. hmm, Or how about this? Pretty ugly. Wait a second. How, like, uh, not, not usually associated together. Uh, our, our world, our, our language is full of those that when you actually stop and think about it, you're like, wait, that shouldn't be. But I would propose the one that's the ultimate out of any list, any possibility, is this on the screen. Dead church. Doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense to us. Dead and church should not be associated. If you think about it, church should be the most alive, dynamic, joy-filled place on the planet with people that have purpose, a future, a hope. It shouldn't be associated dead and church. But unfortunately, in this, this word that we have for this church in Sardis that we'll talk about in a second, that is the conclusion about who they are. Pretty convicting passage, as it already got silent in here, Uh, but but, uh, pretty convicting passage as we start to look at it. As I was wrestling through, I was like, man, you have to come up with a couple questions. I think the appropriate questions is, one, how do you prevent becoming a dead church? I don't know if there's anybody here that's interested in being a part of a dead church. I'm not. The Second question is, can a dead church come back to life? Can a dead church come back to life? Two questions that I'm excited because Jesus addresses those specifically and how a dead church comes back to life, how we prevent that. Because unfortunately, sadly, that church, that, those two words, even though we might not like them, we don't have to look very far to find them. You see churches all around us, morgues with a steeple, congregations of corpses, and pastors that have graduated from cemetery. You see, it's a reality in our world, and you don't have to look very far, unfortunately. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus gives some specific antidotes on how to turn that bus around. Let me pray for us as a church. God, thank you for this word this morning. Excited to dive in. Thankful that you're not content leaving us where we're at, that you call us out. My prayer, God, is that we would personalize this message, that we would not just ask the question of how do you prevent this as a church becoming dead, that we'd ask the question, how do I prevent myself from dying spiritually? How do I resurrect myself when I notice the pulse is getting quieter and quieter? We ask God that you'd speak to us directly this morning. I thank you so much for your grace and patience with us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So again, if you wouldn't mind following along, we're in chapter 3 of Revelation and specifically starts by introducing who he's talking to. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Start, we've done this in the whole series by telling you a little bit about this city of Sardis. It's our fifth one out of the ones we've been looking at. You can see on the map. Uh, we're, we're being the letters are being written from Patmos and it followed the t- exact route that a courier would go. We're at number five there. You can see it's a little bit more inland than some of the coastal cities. But what you learn about Sardis is it's actually, well, it's about 30 miles south of the other city there, Thyatira, but it's known as one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. So pretty impressive city. It's known because of its wealth. It's part of uh, the Lydian kingdom, It's located, the reason why it's a wealthy and prosperous city, and this I thought was kind of cool, is really close to this river called the Pactolus River, and what they discovered about the Pactolus River is that that this river was jam-packed, Pactolus, I guess that works, uh, with gold. So you imagine, like, would anybody else like one of those streams running behind your, your house? How about just water? Uh, but, but this idea here, here is saying that, that, that they discovered that they had this gold, and you even do excavations present day, and you'll find all kind of, of refinement equipment. You can see that just like any of the other churches, here's a picture of it present day. This is the, the city and uh, so, so you know that this isn't just some fictitious, who are these churches, a, a legit town in present-day Turkey. You can go and visit. It's actually found in the village of Sart, uh, is present day. One of the a couple of inch, other interesting things, just before we move on, is it was known not only for gold, but it was known for its textile industry. They're known for dealing with wool and uh, dyeing things. And so they had a little bit of knowledge on that. We'll see why that's important a little bit later on. And another quick fact is they were actually built with three of its walls, it was up on a hill, were surrounded by rocks, so it was really a fortress of sorts, and so a protected city. They've had a lot of security, found a lot of security in that. But while John is writing this letter, they might on the outside still look prosperous, prosperous, but they're just starting the process of decay. You might say, much like my basketball game, that they were no longer in the glory days. So they're falling apart, starting to break down. This is, when Paul, or this is when John specifically writes these words, or we should say Jesus specifically writes these. And look how in each one of these letters, Jesus starts by introducing a relevant point about himself. And what does it say? Look at your text there. It says, "...the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars." A lot of us, all right, start rolling back and, oh, here goes the revelation lingo. Spirits and stars and I'm lost already. But we've learned that revelation isn't as confusing as you might think. First off, the, the seven spirits, the number seven, it's not saying there's seven holy spirits, but seven is always attached with what? Perfection or completeness. So it's saying, it's not, it's, it's not him showing up as the, as the mighty enforcer now. He's saying, I'm the one that holds The Holy Spirit. And we learned also that the stars represent the the church leaders or the messengers of that time. I'm the one that holds the Holy Spirit. I'm the one that has the church leaders in in the hand. In, In other words, I have all the resources that are needed for you to come back to life. I have ever we have at our access in our within our access within our reach everything that's needed for us to breathe life back into ourselves spiritually the holy spirit a church that can come along and be a support in that so he starts with this introduction and he goes on then he doesn't skip a beat he goes straight into the confrontation he says i know your works and that's been a repeated theme in our study he sees he knows everything says, you have, listen to this, this account, it says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are, what does it say in your text? Dead. Dead. Whoa, this is, this is not, if, if you're giving an account or someone's making an assessment of our church, that's not what I would want to hear. You imagine they weren't too thrilled to read this or hear it read. You notice in our series, there's been kind of a downward spiral of these churches. Ephesus first, if you remember, lost their first love. Pergamum, it was entangled in the world. Thyatira tolerated sin. Now it reaches a new low with Sardis that's actually pointed out as being dead. You have a reputation. From the outside, they looked one way. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Whoa, that's a pretty convicting passage or a point to, to look at there. I was reading this article this week, and some of you might remember this from high school or whatnot or wherever you may have learned it. I was reading about stars and how they work, and you've maybe heard this before, so I'm repeating, but a, a star that we see in the sky is at such a far distance that actually the light that we're seeing, because it takes time for light to travel, that the light that we're seeing is often 25 Plus years old, isn't that weird to think? And here, here's the so so if you're looking at the night sky and you're like, oh, that's a pretty light. Look at that star there. That's a really old light that you're looking at. Many times a, a long sense. And what I've discovered is that stars have a life cycle. A life cycle where it's which is kind of concerning when we live based on uh, the the uh, the warmth of the sun. But uh, but we find out that light that stars have a life cycle, and often eventually they explode and no longer exist. But here's the part that's strange. Some scientists that have discovered that some of the stars that we're looking at in the night sky actually no longer exist present day. They died quite a while ago, but their light keeps on flickering because we're seeing the delayed effect of it. And I was like, wow, huh. Isn't that a little bit of what we see here with the church? That that light the appearance of light doesn't confirm life. The appearance of light doesn't confirm life. Just because from the outside you still have a nice twinkle to us doesn't mean when under the microscope of Jesus' inspection that we're still seen as alive. That's the scary part is that there can be such a, a gap between what our assessment is of the church and what Jesus' assessment is. And here's the thing that's always hard with any of this when he's talking about the church, as I already mentioned, to start to personalize that ourselves and ask the question, am I a twinkle that appears bright, but on the truth, on the inside, between me and Jesus, man, I'm dead. I'm dead. There, there, there's no real glimpse of life behind the scenes and my, my inner man, my inner person, it, it, it might flicker, all right, to the, the audience, those around us, but the truth is, And there's nothing really there. There's no substance. There's no relationship. Is there actually a relationship with the Lord? Do we talk to each other? Do I read his letter to me? Do I notice the things he does? Do I say thanks for his many gifts? Do I seek his direction? All the signs that there should be life in a relationship, ask that question. Do they exist between me and God? I think this was probably intended to be one of those one of those shake you and wake you kind of a messages. Like when he's writing this, I, I think he 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 had some intention to stir the pot a little bit. And what I would find find some encouragement is is that he wouldn't bring it up without some kind of suggestion on how to come back. The thing that's awesome to this, and you guys are all looking at me kind of gloomy right now, as a, as appropriate. But the awesome thing is in verse 2, he starts to paint this picture. And it's awesome because it's not just my idea of how to get back, how to come back from the dead. It's literally Jesus saying, this is how you take steps back towards me when you find your pulse is getting quiet or even silent. Let's take a look. What does it say in the text? I'm I'm not making these up. First thing, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Man, there's a great list there of some different things that are just super practical. The first one, what does he say? What's the first charge? Wake up! Wake up! That's the first. Somebody was like, whoa, whoa, what? what? Is it lunchtime? Uh, but, but the idea here, wake up! Wake up is, is the idea like, man, the, somebody that's sleeping. What's true about them? That they're unconcerned, they're apathetic, they're non-responsive. When Chase was a little bit younger, it was kind of funny to—not funny, but interesting—is he'd do the sleepwalking thing. Man, we'd be in the out watching TV in the evening. Anybody have a kid that does the sleepwalking thing? Kind of freaks you out. He comes out there and he looks like he's awake, you know, but he's got a glaze going on. He's kind of wandering around. You're like, Chase, where are you going, buddy? Uh, he's just kind of wandering and at one, one point i was like we, it happened quite a bit and i was like honey i got the best idea so this is this is bad you guys are going to get glimpses into bad parenting here and so so i said you know what? i bet i bet we'll, we'll wake him up we'll just have him step in the shower kind of walk him over there and turn on the cold water true story i know i'm a bad dad well well so so uh so the, the cold water hits him and he's like whoa what's going on like he was awake then you know uh, it was it was effective and here, I was thinking a little bit of this. What Was was Jesus saying, man, I recognize that, man, you guys are sleeping. He's saying, you need some cold water poured on you. You need to be shaken up. The thing is, is the fact that it must have been kind of scary to think of them. They're non responsive They're not doing anything. What I like is the second part of that wake-up idea. We won't spend as long on the other ones, but wake-up can also be translated keep alert. Keep alert. And what that, what I like about that is wake up is, is sometimes I feel like that's outside of my control. A lot of us are like, I don't know how to do that. But the idea of keep alert is more within the realm of our choice, our, our choice to stay alert. I don't, I don't know if any of you have done a long road trip and we're going to stay with, on the confession line here. And there's parts of the trip that you're like, I don't really remember that part. I don't really know. Anybody arrive home and you're like, I don't really remember getting off in the X. You kind of go on mental autopilot, or is this just me? And they're like, or, or how about this? You're on a road trip, and you're like, all right, I can just close my eyes for two seconds. It should be fine. I'll be fine in two seconds. Well, I don't recommend this. This is bad. But when you notice, when you notice, I think I'm the only one that does this. That's concerning. <laughs> but what I, I notice is what I do is you start taking like drastic measures. to. I got to wake myself up. What are some of the things you guys do? Think of them. Like you turn down the window, get a cold. I'm slapping myself, and wow, that was harder than meant. Uh, But you're 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 taking your sprite, you are dipping your hand, spraying yourself with it, and you're like, like anything that you can do to to make yourself wake up, because you're like, man, because I know if I don't wake up, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna die. Man, I start playing this off the side of the road. And you you see there like, man, that would really stink to go off that bridge. That would really, man, I'd hit that tree. Because you recognize, man, it's urgent. It's life and death. And that's what he's saying. Wake up. Do your part in this. Put the work in. It's desperate. Wake up. What does he say next? He says to strengthen. Strengthen. It means to actually establish or stabilize something. What does he say to Strengthen. To strengthen what remains and is about to die. Had this thing this last spring, for those of you who been around, I tore my plantar fascia, that ligament that runs my foot, uh, part of that whole basketball thing being gone. Uh, but, but I was there, I was pretty miserable. So I was in this boot for like 11 weeks straight, and I don't know if any of you have spent any time in a cast or any, had a, a break or anything. What happens when you first pull that off? Like you're like, whoa, this feels weird. My foot, like I was like, where did the where did my calf muscle go? Like, where, like this is strength. You start to feel it and it just doesn't feel, it's still there. It barely exists. But what has to happen? You have to start kind of easing back into activity. You start doing some exercise. Before you know it, you're like, all right, it's, uh, it's doing all right. I can run the bases after the two home runs I hit yesterday, but who's keeping track? Uh, but but here, here's, the, here's the idea is it starts to come back when you put some effort into it, he's like, strengthen. Make the ch- it's about dead, but there's still a little bit of hope. Put the work in, strengthen. Describes their works as being incomplete. Most likely they were going through the actions, but they didn't really mean it. He suggests one other thing. This is the, the important piece, the remember part. Remember is a, a huge deal in the life of a believer. So we're naturally pretty forgetful people. I have the best intentions. Anybody have great intentions with names? You're like, oh man. So I, I've been at, going to this particular gym and just hoping to kind of reach out to some of the folks there. And I, I, I meet them and then I see them again. I was like, oh, what's the name? So I started doing this. Maybe you guys have done this before. I have this little notes thing in my phone, and I, I put little cheat messages. I get put the name, little mini description, then I'm like, bam, locked in. Anybody else do this? And uh, okay, glad I'm, I'm not the only forgetful person. So I, I look to that often. I see them coming up, and I'm glancing on the phone. I'm like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's this person. And uh, and you see that, and you see that, and you're like, man, isn't that the same thing for us spiritually? There's, you, you put the behind the scenes, you start to do things to help you remember. We're at this men's retreat, and they're talking about how important journaling is. And you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of writing it down. So you remember what God's done. And what does it suggest that we remember? What's the text say there? It says, remember then what you received and heard what you received and heard. At that point in that stage in the game, most of the New Testament's done. They've received all kinds of Old Testaments already out there. They have, they've been given a lot of great information. They, he says, make sure you remember those things, reflect on them. I was looking a little bit deeper on that and thinking about it. this might be, I think initially the intent was just remember all the God's word and the things that have been spoken to him. But I was thinking that, taking that even a step deeper What's included in the what you have received category? And that verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, what do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received? For us, an exercise is just, man, taking time to remember anything you have is because it was given to you. There's nothing that's like, we have this idea that you kind of have this God piece and then us independent. No, no, that's not how it works. Anything you have, what do you have that you haven't received? Your health, the last breath you just took, what sustains that? What gives that the, the job that you have, the, the stuff that you've accumulated, the, anything you, your kids, what do you have that you didn't re, that you didn't receive? I think it's just healthy for us and believers to stir the pot and stir the, the spiritual temperature, just taking time to remember all the things that have been given to us, right? Another challenge for us, but then he takes it the next step. He says, remember it, but then look at those words. They can get lost in the text there. Remember what you've received and heard, and then he says, keep it. Keep it. So basically, don't just allow it to pile up on this mile-high pile of information. There's an action piece expected. We shouldn't just know the things of God. We should live the things of God, keep it, take what you know and actually apply it to your life. I appreciate after a, a sermon, I'll have somebody come up and be like, oh, uh, every once, every three months, somebody says, hey, nice job. And, uh, and so, so uh, like that means a lot to me, like it's encouraging for sure. But the Cadillac of feedback is when somebody says, hey, great job, this is what I'm gonna do in response to what I heard then you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. There's a reason like the, the, that we're, we're coming together when it actually moves towards application. That's what he's pointing to. Just remember all these things that you've said and heard, and then keep them. Follow them. Live them out. All these, sometimes the, the action goes before the heart piece. Sometimes you're like, man, I just got to start doing it. And the, the, you know if I do the things I, I used to do, I'll feel the things I used to feel. You see, it comes first often the action piece. Lastly, and this was probably where mo- many of our lists need to start, challenges us to just repent. See this picture of a road coming back. Like that's the idea of, of completely turning the bus around. Say, man, I am wrong. I was going the wrong direction. I need to get off this exit and turn around and come back. Sometimes, I don't know if there's any guys in here that have a hard time with this, but if I'm going the, the wrong way, it's so hard for me to admit that. I, I remember Adrian and I were on one trip, we're heading down to Florida, and, uh, and realized, I don't know, it was late at, late at night, kids were sleeping in the back, and we're driving, and I realized this sinking feeling after about 45 minutes that I'm literally heading north instead of south. Are you kidding me? Like, uh, this is pre-GPS stuff. Have you guys ever done this? And I'm looking, she's dozing off. I'm looking at the clock and I'm trying to think like, hey, can I turn this around without her waking up? And, uh, and so, <laughs> true, true confession. But, but didn't do that. I just said, I just said, said hon, we're going the wrong way. I, probably for a long time. We need to turn. And, and she was full of grace and patience as you would imagine. Well, uh, and so, and so we, we get off the exit and we turn around, start going the wrong direction. And isn't that the same idea that God, he gives so many exit ramps. He's like, just admit. What is repent? He keep, he's repeated it like four times in, this, in these letters. He's saying, just say, I, just admit you're wrong. You wandered off track. You headed the wrong direction. Uh, ask for my help back. Don't be that person that won't ask for direction. Take, take, take the route back. I'll walk you through it step by step. So those of us that wonder how do you get back Like This this isn't my ideas, this isn't my little A, B, C, D, E list that I came up with. This is legit Jesus' words of telling us, how do you get back into a vibrant, alive relationship with him? It's right there. It's right there in the text. I pray you tuck that away, even if you're not at that point right now. He challenges us, as he continues, he says, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I thought that was pretty fascinating uh, words there. We normally associate, what do we normally associate opposition with? We normally give opposition as like the enemy, the devil, the world, like that's all coming against me. But what do we learn here in the text? What is a, a real opposition in the life of a wayward believer is Jesus himself opposing you you see that in the text? I'm I'm not making this up. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That's pretty intense. We've seen that a a number of times. And some of us are wondering why we just feel like we just keep running to wall after wall and failure and breakdown and this and that. And you're like, what what is it? It's the enemy. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe it's God himself saying, I'm going to oppose you because I know as a knucklehead, you're going to keep heading down the wrong road. you got to turn around. I've got to oppose you so you go back the right direction. I'm not a, a smart guy and I don't know a lot about fighting, but I do know one thing. You don't pick a fight with someone bigger than yourself, right? In fact, I, I remind my son Chase. He's always coming up and like punching me in the ribs or something. I'm like, son, i got to teach you this lesson. It's real valuable, don't mess with somebody bigger than you. Then I beat him up for a few minutes. And uh, not literally, just reminders. And, uh, and, and, so, and so, so you do that and I'm like, Chase, it's a valuable lesson to you. And, and imagine this, when scripture, when Jesus himself says, if you keep going this direction, I'm going to oppose you. You're like, uh, I, I'm, I'm not smart, but I'm guessing you're not going to win that fight. You're not. It's just not going to happen. Like, it's not the creator, almighty God uh, of the universe. He's versus Bob. Who's going to win that fight? You know what I'm saying? And some of us wonder why we can't get things going in the right direction. You're like, yeah, because you're opposing almighty God. He's coming against us. So he promises, much like a thief, he's not going to give you a, a warning on this. He goes on to explain, though, which I love, he always ends with hope in these letters. It says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. Gross. And they will walk with me, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at that last, last section there, and it's kind of neat to think about. First off, I titled it Clothing Matters. I thought I might get an amen from some women in the group, or men, and, uh, and here. But the, the idea is, look at who Jesus is talking to. Talking to people living in this rich textile town. Maybe we can relate live in this rich textile town. He's trying to speak a language that they would understand. He says, man, it matters. It matters that, he says, there's reward for those of you that are clinging to my righteousness. It's not saying there because none of us, as we learn elsewhere in scripture, none of us are, are pure in and of ourselves. We show up with Soiled garments. That's just hard to hear. That, but uh, but here he points this picture and he says, "Man, the, the one that has walks with my righteousness, that has my white robe." He promises all kinds of great things. He says, "Man, I'm going to profess. I'm never going to blot your name out of the book of life. I'm going to confess you before the the Father and the angels." Man, have a ear and have and listen up. And so, the question that I want to conclude with this morning is this. What am I wearing? What am I wearing? What am I wearing? Am I, am I wearing uh, my own attempts at trying to fix things and solve things and correct things? Am I my attempts at, at pleasing him with service and acts or whatever it is? Or am I just coming before the Lord and the only basis that I have to stand is because what Jesus Christ has done for me? That's what I'm wearing. That's what, that's what I'm clinging to. And he makes this invitation to come back. He says, "I I want you. I want to walk with you. I want relationship. I want to confess you before the Father. I want to. I'll never blot you out of the book. You're in. But if we don't get the piece of what we're wearing right, man, it's it's not going to go well for us. Where it's not going to end well for us. So I want to end with this, and it's kind of cool. It's baptism uh, Sunday. We have. 20 people getting baptized down in the ocean and a, little, a little bit from now. I was talking to Nancy, who's been here for a really long time. And she's like, I don't remember ever having, we've never had 20 people get baptized. It's pretty cool seeing that. But I was thinking about that. I was like, man, there's gotta be somebody or potentially somebody in here that's never ever, if they're honest with yourself, you're talking about, yeah, your, your walk with the Lord faded. There's gotta be somebody in this room that if you're honest, you've never started a relationship with God. It was never, the heart was never beating in order to, for it to stop. You know what I'm saying? And so, so my, my hope is just ending our service with this opportunity for us to ask that question is what are you wearing? Are you wearing your, your robes of these good deeds and acts, your attempts at reaching to God? Or are you saying, man, I admit, I can't, and I, and I love the, to know if you're appropriately dressed, this idea, it starts with, and it shouldn't be that hard to start here, it starts with an awareness of your sin. Hey, I'm pretty sure there's nobody in here that thinks they're perfect and they've never done something falling short of God's perfect standard. Then, then acknowledging it. So not just being aware of it, acknowledging it. That's the whole confess piece. I, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm messed up. And the wonderful piece is this, it's a big church word, substitutionary atonement. This idea that Jesus took what should have been the penalty of our sin and he absorbed it on the cross, on a cruel Roman cross, the God of the universe, came down on the earth suit, lived the perfect life, died on a Roman cross, rose again giving victory, and then giving us just this simple last thing, this invite, and this is the last piece of knowing if you're wearing the right thing, the simple invite of saying, and just through faith, simple faith, saying, I can't do it, I accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. I embrace that. It's fun uh, this week. I had a lot of different interviews with the folks being baptized. Just hearing their stories and their testimonies, and walking through that. A couple of them uh, had to be by phone because we couldn't connect in person. I remember talking though to this this one girl. I think she's about eleven. Just hearing her story and she was telling the story. She's like, yeah, I, I was at Camp ABF last year. And it, she says, and then you explained like the fact that, uh, that we've, we're all sinners, falling short of God's standard. And then it was then I said, I'm in. I, I trust what Jesus did on the, the cross. I'm embracing that. And she, I was like, man, it's cool. Just thinking of an eternity redirected for a nine-year-old or 11-year-old, I think she is now. And you're just like, whoa, the power of this invitation is simple enough for a kid that's nine years old to grab it. But man, there's something about it that the most stubborn 60-year-old won't say yes to it. It, do- it makes no sense. That invitation is extended out there. And I love how Revelation describes it. It says Jesus is just there, just at the door, knocking, knocking, knocking. Sometimes that, that knock gets a little bit louder. Sometimes it's a little quieter. Either way, that invite is constantly on the table. So I thought it appropriate as we're talking about this dead church in Sardis that we'd extend that invite for anyone in here that hasn't made that decision. I mean, We started this, this tradition actually this year. It's, it's uh, been interesting to watch. Uh, but the idea is this. We, w- without heads bowed or eyes closed, you hear that a lot of churches, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're saying with your eyes open and your heads up, Make the choice this morning, the invites on the table, am I going to accept or reject what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? Am I going to say yes to that? If, you, if that's something you've never done, if you can't think of a time or date or place or, or, or a season where that that transformation has happened, the invite is for you to say, stand up right now and say, I'm in, I'm in. Boldly say that. I'm going to create just an awkward moment of silence for us to give the spirit just a chance to work for a few minutes. And wrestle through that decision. If you, you've already made that decision, join me in praying for anyone that hasn't, okay? I'm going to be quiet just for a minute. Let Chad play. I just wonder if there's somebody in this room that, man, their heart's racing right now. They're, they're saying, oh, there's they're such a tug. And my question for it is like, man, why are you not saying yes to it? The God of the universe, who we were separated from because of our sin, came down, entered in, lived the perfect life, absorbed all the wrath that we were supposed to take on the cross. And then he said, man, just embrace what I've done. Just say yes to that invitation. My question is, why wouldn't you say yes to that? Give another 30 seconds, the response would just stand up and say, all right, I'm in. I accept that free gift. The awesome thing is that invite is on the table every single moment, every single second, every single hour. That invite is constantly there. And so my prayer is that those of you that are wrestling through that right now, man, just just allow him to be the magnet that he is. Just submit to that. It can be in your drive home, it can be talking with a friend afterwards, it can be talking with us after the service. Either way, that invite is constantly on the table as long as we're breathing long as we're breathing for those of us that heard this word for the church of sardis and there's some conviction there i I love the invitation back He man just repent wake up come back do the things you know remember the things that 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 have been done on your behalf it's an invitation that's constantly there i pray you'd receive that if that's where you're at if not if you're in a place where you're in a good spot with the lord and you're like man just tuck that away because sometimes you go through those seasons right Sometimes you go through those seasons, tuck it away, hold on to it. Thanks for your time. Let me pray for it as we close. God, thanks for this chance to spend some time looking at this letter. I thank you for how practical your word is that you love us enough to not leave us where we're at. That you call us to move forward, to keep chasing after you. I thank you that you oppose us. God, I just pray that you do a work in this church, that you do a work in my heart, that this message wouldn't be for the person down the road, that you'd speak to us directly, even this week, that it wouldn't just stop here, it would keep wrestling through these thoughts. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I don't get the sense that this would be the description of this church, dead church. I don't think we word that, but I, I do think the word's preventative health. You know, those are good words, some things that we can do to stir up our life. And one of those things I would suggest is going down for this baptism, hanging out, seeing people that are, are making that commitment and saying, man, I am, I am, there's no turning back. I'm chasing after this for the rest of my life. I'd love to have you join us this afternoon. God bless you. Have a great day.